and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. I feel like I blew out my throat before we even got started. Hello, everyone. We welcome you back to quarantine with us. Yes. Quarantine. How many episodes have we done in quarantine now? Uh, like six, seven. Mm. We have been sheltering in place for over 40 days. And we will be continuing to do nights. so. Well, yes, presumably. <laughs> we could have built an ark in this time. And we will have, well, some people have, I'm sure. <laughs> we will continue to do so for at least the foreseeable future. They're mm-hmm. saying at least through May 15th. Yeah. As of the record right now, it is April 27th, 2020. Your birthday is this week. I was trying not to think about that, but thank you We'll talk much. about it next week when it will have happened. <laughs> I assumed that um, because of quarantines, uh, aging would be canceled. It wasn't for me. It shouldn't be for you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so this week, uh-huh. we watched... Okay, y'all, remember how we were going to watch Kingdom Hospital if we could we, find it? I remember that. That was exciting. Yeah. It was a highlight we of my week. couldn't, so we failed. Now... If we are able to put our hands on it, we will put it. We will insert it later in the you situation. Can find its throat. But for right now, we just mm. bloop, skipped over it. Yes. And we landed right squarely on 2004's remake of Salem's Lot, starring a heavily chapsticked Rob Lowe. With a really bad wig. Bad wig or terrible haircut, but it's I think bad wig. 2004. This is like a bad hair era. Yeah, it wasn't great. Now. Before we get started, everything I've just said may may make you think, oh, she didn't enjoy this. It's a lie. She enjoyed this greatly. She might think this is one of her favorite things that she's watched to this series. I really liked it. But I will say other things that will sound like I did not like it. So buckle up. It's going to be a ride. I enjoyed this. How did you feel about it? I enjoyed it a great deal. um, I'm... A huge fan of the original one because yes. the place and discuss that uh, when we reviewed that version of it because the place it played in my life the fact that it was all the actors I remembered growing up and mm-hmm. things like that so this is a little bit different because the characters were changed and the stories rearranged a good deal now this is a whole weird one for me because mm-hmm. I have not read this book it's one of the single digit number of books that I haven't read by Stephen King. I haven't read a lot of his more recent things since um, probably end of watch. But I also haven't... Salem's Lot is just one of the books that I just never read. Mm. And I'm not a huge vampire person, which is... I say that, and that that's a lie, because I love the Passage series, and I've read it three times. So mm. maybe I'm just a lying liar who lies. So And and the miniseries, the first one, came out before I was born, so I didn't ever see it until we watched it. Right. So I don't have a lot of investment in the story itself. So this was an interesting one. We watched the whole miniseries. We got it on a DVD set along with a bunch of other things. The Langoliers, for instance, I think was in that same set. I think the stand also. I'm uh, not sure. Yeah, maybe. Uh, and no, it no, just, it wasn't, because we watched the stand on YouTube. So it must have been, there was not, it, I think, was also on us. I think we only watched the stand on YouTube was because it didn't, was the right, DVDs weren't the there. Okay, yes, that's right. we ordered it, and then it, it did not arrive appropriately. So this was supposed to have all of that in there, like a bunch of TV miniseries. So this, I think, was the last one um, in that set. And it it aired in 2004 on 
TNT over two nights. Uh, it's three hours and one minute long. We watched it all yesterday. We just watched it straight through uh, about dinner time to about 10. So that's our lives. Hi. Mm. No. Well, welcome in. Uh, and yeah, I thought it was a blast. I thought it was really fun. So we're going to be pretty loose with our because we've done it before synopsis because we've done it before. And also, honestly, as much as I enjoyed watching it, mm-hmm. there are a lot of people in here. And right. they kind of all mush together into becomes a vampire or doesn't become a vampire. The story in this case, there was a lot less time, I think, spent on, uh, in the first miniseries version, there was a lot of time spent on creating the characters and putting them in a place in the world. There was less time spent on that and more of almost like a shorthand used. The narration was very heavily leaned on yeah. to give you the ideas about the characters. So that there wasn't enough, the first film seemed to have the characters set up their own dialogues between mm-hmm. each other. This film is a lot of Ben Mears explaining to you who the characters are. Yes. And how that comes into play. So it cuts a lot of time down he on that. Really, they lean heavily on he's a writer. Let's mm-hmm. let him tell the story. Right. Um, and there's this frame narrative, which is not in, in place in the first one. Right. Really. It's not going to be a spoiler to tell you what it is because the book is that old and the, both films are that old. Uh, although it's different. It's Yeah. I don't know, is this, is the, is the, the frame as it's set up here is not what's in the Mm. book. No. Okay. So we open on Donald Callahan, a priest played by James Cromwell, who we've just seen in the Green Mile. Uh, And he is serving food in a homeless shelter on Thanksgiving. And then we see a scraggly ass looking (laughs) Rob Lowe. He's... Um, he's either impersonating a homeless or he is in fact a homeless. It's hard to tell. And he attacks him, chases him up the stairs. Uh, Donald Callahan, the priest, shoots Ben Mears. We don't know it's Ben Mears. Y'all, it's Rob Lowe. Just, it's, it's Ben Mears. He's the main character. Uh, shoots him and then Rob Lowe, in a scene of defiance says, yeah, well, if I go, I'm taking you with me, and throws them both out the window. And then we're at the hospital, where presumably the father is being taken care of elsewhere. Right, in another room. And we have a... Is it an orderly? or Yeah, I guess it's an orderly. It, it's yeah. not a doctor. No. Very tall, very handsome black man says, basically... <laughs> As a good Christian, why shouldn't I just let you die? Which is a fucking that's a hilarious question to me. I'm like, well, that's a good question. You shouldn't just let anyone die. Like, that's not that was not well thought out. For, that particular you're not line. the judge. The God is the whatever. I don't know. I'm not part of that whole thing. But I just thought that was like, did you think that since as you were saying it because. When it came out, you should have heard it, and then maybe I think they were looking adjusted. for some motivation for him to be engaged in this story, right? And so he says something that makes no sense in the context of what I he's guess, supposed uh, to be representing. <laughs> that's right. So, and then Ben whispers, "Jerusalem's lot," and then doodly doodly doodly. Two years ago, I don't. I didn't know that it was two years ago. You didn't know it was two years ago. I asked around. Nobody knew it was two years ago. But this helpful Wikipedia page says it was two years ago. So we're going back in time two years. Now, presumably that's to 2002. 
Like this is a yeah, it's this a contemporary is a contemporary, contemporary film, mm-hmm. right? So already it's going to be different from the previous one because that one was also contemporary with 1979, right? Like, right. Um, this was not a period piece. No. And so Jerusalem's Lot, also known as Salem's Lot, we're only ever going to call it Salem's Lot now, so get on board, everybody. Salem's Lot train. It's in Maine, because of course it is. Ben Mears returning to scene of a horrific thing when he was a child. He is a writer, and he is going to write... He says a novel, but he's lying. Uh, he you meets can't trust him. the lovely Susan Norton, played by Samantha Mathis, who is a woman who I forget as soon as I'm not actually actively looking at her, which I is forget a that she is thing to say. Not Claire Danes. No. But she could be if she tried hard. See, Claire Danes is burned into my brain from being 14 when My Soul Called Life I premiered. I never saw that. Yeah, I was too old for so, it. Claire Danes is Claire Danes, and this is some cheap knockoff. No, I'm, I'm kidding. No, Samantha but actually is very good. She's also, movie, I think, too. older than Claire Danes. But um, she is a woman who is a very good actress, but just does not leave an indelible impression on me personally. It's me. It's not her. Oh, my God. It sounds like you broke up with her. I know, but I, f- I feel bad saying that because it sounds mean, but I don't intend it to be mean because I'm pretty sure that she's fine. Mm-hmm. It's a thing that I have with well, apparently dishwater she has blondes. I don't know. I'm just like Alabaster bored. calves that she remind you of Michelangelo. Uh, not me. Not personally. I haven't seen her calves. So she is working, she has come back after art school and is working as a waitress in her parents' cafe, Norton's Cafe. Her name is Susan Norton. And she strikes up a little bit of a conversation with Ben Mears, who's like a sort of a celebrity. People know who he is, know of him. Uh, He lived in the town when he was a child, but not like was born there until he was 18, and then he left, and then he hasn't been back since. No. He was there visiting summers with his, for his aunt, and did spend at least some of a school year. Right, because he had a, a school teacher. teacher yes, right? who we will meet. Now, did it feel to you like Ben Mears in the, the other film was more involved in the town life? Because here it seems as if he's really familiar with the teacher and he wrote the school play and he did, and this film it seems almost as if he has to be reminded who the teacher is when he meets him again. I don't I didn't get that because he told us who he was in voiceover before we even meet him. I think that he maybe had a bad experience with him and wasn't like Oh yeah, remember when I was a smart ass asshole in your in your class? No, I won't cover let's, that scene uh, too. Let's actually. go ahead and uh, r- reminisce over that. Um, in the first one, it did seem like Ben was sort of the prize student, the prize student, mm-hmm. or the one that you you know, it, as an English teacher, if one of your kids goes on to become a writer, that is like a little point of pride, I would right. think. Uh, but that is, I mean, he definitely knows him, and he. But he doesn't think he's a very good writer. That's the other thing. This is, is the difference between the two, yeah. So, he, yes. So his old teacher is played by Andre Brower, uh, who we'll see again shortly. Mm-hmm. And in this one, it's weird because I've seen him in The Mist. I've seen The Mist. I've not seen this before. Mm-hmm. And in The Mist, he is not on board with what is happening. And in this one, he is 100% on board with what is happening and is pulling people on board with him. So that was an interesting... Well, yeah, he's the exact opposite of the character in The Mist because Mm -hmm. 
in this one, he's the instigator. He's trying to bring people together to well, form... Well, he's an instigator in the midst, well, but, I mean, but of a different thing. Right. <laughs> um, so... We, we also are introduced, Ben tries to pick up the keys to the Marston house, which mm-hmm. is what he has rented. This is the haunted house on the hill that overlooks the whole town. And we always see from a distance and in black and white for a long time. Every time we see, I'm like, is it because it's a matte painting and you just didn't, you shook your head and I didn't don't know. think at this point we're still using that kind of technology. It could be, that could be the case. Yeah. It just seemed like it was a choice for them. And I kept thinking of the house maybe was only built a quarter size, and that's why... Yeah, maybe, like the psycho house on the universal lot, that's just... You you can't put a person next to it because it it belies the fact that while it is not the size of a dog house, Mm -hmm. it's also not the size of a motel. (laughs) So, um, but Larry Crockett, the biggest asshole in this whole movie, I would argue, Mm -hmm. uh, is has sold the house out from under the rental agreement to Kurt Barlow and Richard Straker. I do love the the names uh-huh. in this story I like. I I just am on board with the, his names in this particular story. Uh so Ben has to go stay at the boarding house. Womp womp. And then we see Larry Crockett, you know, be a total bigot and ableist. He's against this kid, Dud, which is a terrible thing to call this child who is probably not... I mean, he's a grown man at this point. Mm-hmm. So there's the, there's different groups. That's the thing. There's different groups. There's the group that works at the, at the dump, mm-hmm. and that's Dud and Mike and Floyd. Right. They're the ones that are also... That are basically... They, they run the trash... The trash and it seems like almost like a and they also will do pickup and yard delivery business or right. something. Yeah, it's yeah. The, the sort of the what we should mention too at this point is that everyone in this story is aged down. Aged down? Yes. I thought aged up. Okay, no, explain what you're saying. Those three characters in the original film were middle-aged men, and here they're all okay. guys in their twenties. They're and, in their twenties, right. but the. Like the the doctor also that Lou Ayers played in the yeah the do- well film he's just a whole separate is a new character almost entirely, and whereas in the other film the real estate agent who's a jerk here yeah was a jerk and adulterer and it's almost yes. like his story gets grafted into the doctor's story draft, he does gets grafted mm-hmm. into the doctor's story and then there's um but then like Andre and Andre Brower is significantly mm-hmm. younger than the. Uh, retired right. teacher. He's Susan's not retired in this. figure largely in it because the, the doctor who played the biggest part in the other film was Susan's father. Yes, and, and he's not... He's not even in the picture. Even in the picture. Um, right. We get more of the bus driver who is a character in the book. Right, and he's older than I thought a character like that would have been in the original, but is he not even in the original? Uh, he's he's not in the original film. He's, okay. he's a character in the book. Right, I understand um, that. It, it winds up being a little weird that in 2004 we have a guy who's a Vietnam vet driving the bus. In 2004 he would have been 60, mid-60s? Right, depending on when he went to war. Right. Um, so if he if he was if he was there in say 1964, mm-hmm. we're talking about a 40 year addition to 18. Yeah, I guess so. so. It's not it's not terribly outside yeah. of of the, and I think that's about the age of the actor that they got. Right, but it just sort of felt like when we were watching the other film, we were watching people in their 50s and 40s, and 
And now we're watching people that are younger. Yeah, I guess I could see that. Yeah. I they yes, um, and then there's the the woman that runs the boarding house mm-hmm. and her paramour, who seem to be still about the same age. Still about the, the same age. Right? Yeah, and yeah, it's just it's a lot of people, and mm-hmm. I sort of just got overwhelmed. You got lost. I mean, it's not that I got lost because mm-hmm. while I'm watching it, I'm not confused. I understand who all these people are. And they didn't hire a bunch of like dudes that all look the same, mm-hmm. which I was appreciative of because that has right. happened. We have watched movies where I was like, I legitimately don't know one from well, the other. Animal House yes, is like, which young white guy is this? I just um, was like, yeah. Well, something that, again, if you remember with the original film, they cast a lot of actors who, if you'd seen enough movies at that point, it was shorthand. This is the guy who always plays a town drunk. This is the guy who always plays the sheriff. This is the guy who always plays, yes, you know. Yes. And here they didn't have that they to rely on. They didn't do that. No. They could have, but they didn't. That is right. not how they. Well, in terms of the villains, they hired two guys that are always villains now. So that right. was Right. And the that's the other thing is you don't get a lot of Straker or Barlow. And there's a reason why you don't get there's a lot of almost, Barlow. Yeah, well, <laughs> we'll talk about that too. <laughs> so, yes, our villains are Richard Straker and Kurt Barlow. Mm-hmm. Um, Kurt Barlow is the vampire vampire, and mm-hmm. Straker is the fixer, the vampire's fixer. His Olivia Pope? I don't know. Uh, Straker is played by Donald Sutherland, which mm-hmm. you had forgotten about. Right. We had, before we started watching this, we, we had put on Mockingjay. Right. And I was like, oh. He has not changed in a decade <laughs> with his beautiful white hair and beard mm. and evilness. I love a Donald Sutherland. I'm on board for Donald Sutherland. He's in like four scenes. Uh, Donald Sutherland's in a little bit more. Maybe. And I think that the one who's kind of disappointing is how little Rutger Hauer's in the movie. And then Rutger Hauer plays Kurt Bar- Barlow. And, and he's, in, he's in a scene in the graveyard uh-huh. where he... Turns dud. Uh-huh. There's the scene. Okay, you want the list of scenes? <laughs> yes. There's the scene in the graveyard where he turns dud. He's in the scene. He has a speech at the end of the film, right. which is what we'll get to. There is a scene involving him and the uh, mom. Of oh, the, that's now, right. That's, remember, the, that's the last person that we should talk have, about. See the way that it was handled in terms of the other film, Toby Hooper's yeah. version. Uh, Barlow is just a monster. Yes. And Straker he's is... A, he's a man. He looks like Wicker Howard right. with sharp teeth. Right. So in the original, he's he's a film. He's a, a, literally a monster who has no lines whatsoever. And oh, all of that falls on, on Straker. Straker, who, again, has Mr. Line Reading, you know, the voice of God, right? Yes. James Mason. James Mason. Gets to have all the great line readings here. As per the book, uh, he gets killed in the book, and then, so... Um, so Barlow has to fend Barlow for himself. Barlow has to fend for himself and yeah. carry on a lot more of the stuff, and as we're reading, as a performer, he was not having a good... I mean, he, he was... He wasn't super... Yeah. Pers- uh, he wasn't super... Uh, he wasn't part of the team, I'll put it that way. There also... Um, there's... Uh, the last character that we should talk about is Mark Petrie, who's mm-hmm. the kid, the sidekick, um, who ends up in, he's in the wraparound, so he stays with Ben after his mom right. is offed by Kurt Barlow. And he is played, to great effect, I think, by Dan Bird. I think it was Danny, probably, when they made And what did movie. you think about the change here in the way the character got presented? Because um, in the, the Toby Hooper version, he's just kind of a geek, as per the, the book. Here he's kind of 
a little bit of a dick with the way that he messes with people. He is, but I actually, I actually liked him a lot. And the, the one thing that was weird was the mm-hmm. kid that they cast. I don't know if they cast him before his voice changed, but his voice is like a man's voice. Mm-hmm. In this, like every time voice. he talks, he has an adult voice, and I'm like, that is a child with an adult voice. But he's not a child; he's probably 17. Mm-hmm. But um, which, you know, depending on what's happening, that's a child or not. <laughs> but uh, I thought he was really good, and he doesn't have a dad in this one, mm-hmm. so he's not. It, we don't have to deal with that trope of macho dad. Doesn't understand it. Why are you son. into the weird shit? Yeah, you know, yeah. Like that kind of thing. Uh, which there are other parent issues. Throughout this film, right. um, well, his mom fine. seems to be kind of looked down upon in this version. Uh, there's a very brief exchange between uh, his mom and another mom where it's kind of, oh, you should come over sometime. It's not going to happen. She oh, says yeah. after she hangs up the phone. So there's there's some sort of issue about his dad, but it's not. Yeah, and I, it feels like they're the poor family, and yeah. they're not going to be. Yeah, that's right, because the kids. Well, he makes a he has a chip on his shoulder too when he gets kicked off the bus. It's like, oh, just because I don't have a dad, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, well, he gets kicked off the bus for for cause. Also, Although, how did that dog know? Yeah, the dog. There's that's another scene, supernatural a, element in this film. There is a scene, yes, that is never explained. Um, there's a scene where they're on the bus and mm-hmm. the Glick boys get kicked off for sitting next to each other? Talking? Talking. They're not allowed to talk. The bus driver's a lunatic and should be fired. Um, kicks them off. And then as he's going to pull away, there's a like a voice that basically calls him out. Mm-hmm. And then he looks backward and he's like, who was that? And everybody's looking forward. Nobody's saying anything. And he's like, he... he I don't want to say six his dog on the perpetrator, but that's what he's doing. He's like, go tell me who did it. And then he goes up next to Mark, and then Mark gets kicked off the bus. And I'm just like, how the fuck? Like, Yeah, I'm not sure that that didn't make any sense. Like, he's trained the dog to follow people who are making noise. And then that dog is summarily murdered, which is terrible, Mm -hmm. and hung on the... the, Which uh, happens a lot earlier... Than I remember, and yeah, the time period on this is what, like four days. Yeah, it seems to be it's happening very, very fast. quickly, like a week at the most, and it's already done. Yeah, so Ben shows up. He wants to write about the Marsden House. Mm-hmm. Now he had a very terrible experience there. This is different mm-hmm. than the movie that I saw. Okay. I don't know if it's different than the book, where he was dared he to be a pirate. To go into the Marston house when it was still owned by Hubie Marston, who built the house, who was a child murderer, Mm -hmm. a a serial child murderer, we find out. Uh, It it was thought to to be so, and then it is, in fact, proven to be so. Uh, So he goes in and sees, he sees Hubie come home, begs something that he can't see for his life, and then is hung. Hubie is hung. And then he tries to leave and in the bathroom Hubie's wife is dead with a shotgun, blasts the chest, at which point this is too much for a young Ben Mears, a nine-year-old Ben Mears, and he is overcome and falls to the ground and cannot move overnight. And believes that he hears whimpering and crying. He thinks it's he he ascribes the voice to the dead Mrs. Marston. Mm -hmm. Later, when he is found, 
they find out that in the bathtub, which he couldn't bring himself to even go into the right. bathroom, so he did not see this. There's a dead child in the bathtub. And so he has believed since the time he was nine, and he's, what, 37 now or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, that he listened to this child die and could have done something to stop it, but didn't. And and he had never told anybody that because his aunt was like, "You could, we can't do anything about it now. Right. Like, we're not going to let anybody hold you. You are absolutely not responsible. Um, and we're not going to let anybody hold you responsible for this horrible thing. And then at that point, I think he is shipped out of Salem's Lot and does not return until mm-hmm. this well, story, that makes right? Sense. Uh, yeah, no, that feels right. I don't know how you go to school after that. Now, we do find out that that child's cause of death was strangulation. His larynx was crunch, crushed immediately. He did not bleed out or die slowly in that tub. Mm-hmm. It was... They don't say this. She says, the sounds that you heard, even when you were nine, you had a great imagination. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, the sounds that he heard were almost definitely himself. He was almost definitely crying and disassociating. I, th- like, I had a, <laughs> a real problem with that part of it, too. Because, well, I, I don't know if you want to go that far mm-hmm. ahead with the plot. Because... I really feel like it's a vampire talking to him at this point who gives him this this plot revelation. Oh, was it? She already dead at she that was point? Oh, dead. I didn't realize I didn't when like, that came out. If you're I a blood-sucking vampire, why are you being so compassionate to this person? And because she's still in there. That's the weird thing about the, the vampires in this. And I didn't know how it worked in this completely weird take on vampires Seem to, to retain some of themselves. At least some of them do. That's the mm-hmm. thing. Like some of them do. We just have like a tumbleweed of, or like a like a a Domino's Tower of vampirism mm-hmm. now. So uh, Mark's two friends, Ralph and and it happens very Danny, quickly into the story. Yes, uh, leave his house and go to go home, and they are overtaken by Barlow. Right. We don't see what happens really. Mm-hmm. Um, Ralphie shows up at home. Danny is dead. Ralphie ends up in the hospital. This happened in the in the first one too. When right. um, and Ralphie or er, is visited by Danny. It's a little more realistic in this one because he's just in a bed with a bunch of other beds with a curtain around him. In the first movie, he's in a room with a giant window, like he's in um, the Boy Who Could Fly, that hospital room. And then I was like, no hospital room ever has looked like this. <laughs> Certainly not since the eighties. Right. Um, well, that, that might play a <laughs> maybe part. Maybe that's in it. it. And uh, and then he ends up dying. Mm-hmm. And then his mother, their mother, is then visited by Danny. No, and Ralphie, I think, mm-hmm. maybe both, and is killed as well. So that's the entire Glick family gone. Uh, Ralphie also tries, Ralphie or Danny? Ralphie also tries to get to Mark, and Mark is like, hills to the nah, which is also a thing that was in the original movie. Mm-hmm. And I was glad that they kept it. You were also glad that they kept it. I was it. glad because that, that is that a... kid tapping on the window. He's a supremely creepy scene, yeah. and that was what induced floods of childhood nightmares. You talk to people who remember that. That scene, and it wasn't particularly graphic by standards now. Um, even at the time, though, that it, it still retains its weirdness because yeah. it's very dreamlike and strange, and the, the boy is very creepy. Yeah, um, and they did a good job of recapturing some of what made that scene work so well. Um, yes, and then 
Barlow meets Dud Rogers, who mm-hmm. has been fired by his best friend, Mike, uh, from the trash duty because Larry Crockett is a fucking asshole. And apparently he's been sleeping with Larry Crockett's daughter, which I will note that this Wikipedia um, entry now, who's been seems sleeping to with Larry indicate Dud. I didn't get the impression that he was sleeping with her. I, I, well, I think that they've been kissing her, at the very least. He calls her his girlfriend. Right. I, and and she says that stuff at my house uh-huh. was only to make my dad mad. Right. I think that they there was some at least some petting. Because she leaves her bra in the trash can for him to find. She does. And then at the same time, this is not something that... I mean, she, for some, her father is inordinately angry. Well, that's the thing. That's what I was just going to say. Mm-hmm. This Wikipedia article explicitly says that Ralph and Ruthie are having, or not Ralph, um, that uh, Larry Crockett and his daughter Ruthie are having a sexual affair. Yeah, that he is get, sexually yeah. ab- abusing his daughter. I didn't. I didn't get a sense of that at all. Get that, but his over-involvement in his daughter's sexuality is upsetting. Would I, now, also, Dud right. is a grown person. He's right. in his twenties, and she is in her teens. Right, and he is. Played by a twenty-five-year-old, I'm sure, but probably. And he is uh, somehow he he has some physical handicaps, and uh-huh. he is also broadly mentally disabled. I didn't know if it was just this. Uh, it's hard to tell with the kind of character that Stephen King, this character, yes, yes, uh, exists a lot. He, it's like he's the village simpleton or something. That is that and is right. That is one, what this is. In the other film, he wasn't. You know, he was just played by a grown man who seems a little bit. You know, I legitimately don't remember the character right. from the first one. Um, but in this version, he has a very twisted spine and a hump on his back. Yes, he's got a hump and he walks with a limp. Mm-hmm. So his spine, his spine is jacked up. Right, and then he is. S- slow. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's he's perfectly fine. Like he can carry. Like he's got a job, and he's good. Like fine at his job. He can have. Like he can work. He's not right. You and know, unable I, to care for himself. But also, <laughs> who's going to give him a job? His friend has given him a job, and then has to fire him because Crockett basically says, right. "If you don't, I'll cancel the contract. You're going to have no contracts, and you're going to have no work." Which this is a man who really enjoys throwing his weight around. Yeah, he's gar- I mean, and he's early the, like on, literally a person where you're like, "Well, I know a lot of people in this movie are going to die. I can't wait to watch it and him die. Like, I can't well, wait till he the, dies." The first time that we see him. Ben Mears had made an arrangement mm-hmm. to get the to uh, rent the house, the Marsden house. Mm-hmm. And he completely reneges on mm-hmm. it and with no excuse whatsoever. No. And it turns out that his arrangement that he makes with uh, Straker and Barlow is what causes the death yes. of every yes, single person in that Yes, it's his fault. Town. So he yeah. had to actually, his company had to buy the Marsden house right. and give it to Barlow in ex- Barlow and Straker in exchange for a plot of land elsewhere, which is gonna, which is about to like... What is it? What do you say? Multiply in value by twenty yeah. times because a mall's about to be built right next to it, uh, and invite them into the town. That was what had to happen, and that is what he did, and that is why all of this happens. So yeah, he, but he is—he's a piece of work. irredeemable yeah. in this. There is no piece of pers- There is no piece of characterization in this that make him understandable as a human being. Yeah, and but what I think to the actor's credit, it's not I think he does a good job. He does a good job of because often you'll see, well, we have to humanize the character. 
he doesn't get humanized at any point. I don't ever see a point where I'm like, I see anything redeemable in him, not even his relationship with his daughter or the fact that he's struggling along no. with her. And I think that I don't see a sexual relationship. I think what I see is a, an incredibly possessive person right. who sees everything like as something that he owns. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so that the involvement with this, the you know, the, the, the town simpleton is what he's regarding yes. Dud as. Yes. Is... Um, is rankling him, so that's why his daughter is doing this. But it's this. Vi- the things that he says are vi- like he's right. a vile character. That he was probably the hardest to swallow because I was like, "There's just no humanity in this person." Mm-hmm. And but he seems that's... familiar. It's not like a caricature to me. He looks like, oh yeah, that guy exists. Well, yeah, because he's our current president. Well, I know, but my my point is that. <laughs> like, but uh, at the same time, but I have trouble mm-hmm. with that. Okay. I have trouble when you make a character that is. One loud, terrible note. Right. Like, that's just, it's a lot. And he doesn't die for a very long time. Like, he's one of the last Well, because what happens is that he keeps the plot moving forward a lot, so... Uh, I guess. Um, there's a whole plot with the doctor in the hospital right. who is seduced a la Alexander Hamilton mm-hmm. in this plot by these... The, I guess a woman that he had dated in high school? Well, it's a woman that he had dated he was familiar with. So again, this is how young everyone is. And there is this weird subplot it, Except that involved previously in the original film, it was uh, the real estate agent is having an affair with the secretary right. and the husband comes home. And I thought that's where they were going. No. This time it's the young doctor. Although he, he's... I'm sorry, that man is 37 if he's a day. She looked younger than him. She was supposed to have just been married... Just out of, she's supposed to be like nineteen. She's well, also. Not I don't know 19. if they went to high school. The the interaction I remember from the two of them is that he said that he would go dancing somewhere and she would go dancing there too. And oh, they okay. Saw each other, yeah, so. it seemed like they had right. had a thing a go, but like they're he's got to, if he's a full fledged doctor, mm-hmm. he's at least twenty eight. Right. Okay. Right. So, Unless he's Doogie Howser, right. but that actor, like I'm saying, mm-hmm. is a cool thirty five. So, the she is made a bad marriage right out of high school sure. or something. Although she doesn't actually seem that upset about it. She, she complains about it a little. As it turns out. Um, there's some sort of sympathy made because she has a newborn. The baby seems to be hurt. Um, and she think, and the doctor's of the opinion that the husband's doing this. Right. And so he falls into this whole kind of... Uh, she drags him, and then she seduces him, mm-hmm. and then brings him home, and then the husband walks in, and it's very much like... Well, now your wallet is ours. Only this dude brings a gun and says, if you don't give me $10,000, I'm going to kill you. And right. here's here, here's my big problem with that. Right. I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor in this town. I'm going to go to the police. Because I, here's the, here's the yeah. reality of it. Mm-hmm. The girl was not my patient. No, the baby was the patient. The baby was the patient. So I have not slept with my patient. I did step out. I did have sex with somebody else's wife, mm-hmm. which is actually not a crime. And it's certainly not a crime punishable by my death or your extortion of $10,000. Right. I am getting a restraining order immediately. Like So, <laughs> in the original film, it was people who, like I said, it was a matter of pride. He wasn't blackmailing. Yes. This film, it makes it seem a little bit stranger because... The threat level that the doctor is, I'm going to the medical board with this. And it when I didn't hear that, I that just happened, heard I'm pulling this right. trigger if you don't give me ten. Because he does also, re, and it's passed over because there is so much plot going There's on a in lot this going film. On. 
And it comes up later. But once again, the baby was the... Yeah. It comes up later with Ben Mears when he says, I don't even know if I'm a doctor right now. He might have called in because there was a deadline for turning in the money. Turning in the money, and he didn't. And he, he didn't, couldn't get it. He doesn't have $10,000. he was 10, busy hunting vampires, well, and also, that's even a joke. he's a doctor in Jerusalem's Lot, Maine. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have $10,000. They don't have funds like that. I can't Jerusalem's imagine Jerusalem's Lot they did. seems like one of those types of places that you go to be a doctor for five years to get your uh, medical school bills right. forgiven. <laughs> like, well, I, don't, I mean, he has a Beamer. Yeah, and that's like a, a point of envy in this town. So I think that the right, whole notion was least, that he was going to sell it and whatever. Yes, he did. Yes, yeah. he was going to sell. That was the thing because he asked another doctor if he asked 10k, and the doctor's like, "Sorry, man, I have and to move some stuff around." Was, well, the BMW ate all my. You know, it's eating me alive. Or whatever. Well, it's it's not even that. It was you know all my money is in things. It's not in cash. I don't have anything liquid, which was the same as the the doctor. Like nobody's chilling on a bunch of cash in this town. But that storyline I had a big problem with because I was like, go to the police or fuck it. Just like I say to Hester Prynne, pack your shit and well, move also, away. What we're talking about the police, um, the police officer, the sheriff in the town is a much smaller part than he it was. It is, although he does get the iconic pack my shit and drive away scene. Right, which I like because he's just like <laughs> the most sensible person in the entire story, but he was not as integral a character because... No, we do see him every once in a while going, um, shit seems fucked up. Right. <laughs> like, he gets, like, he gets, he's getting calls from, like, private investigators into Ben Mears and the Straker and Straker and Barlow mm-hmm. and he can't really find anything although Straker's got like some misdemeanor shit from when he was a kid I guess right uh, which was a weird like little piece of information and I'm like well is that why Barlow got his claws into him was yeah. an offer well, also, because yeah. that's the that's the, the scene with with Dud right mm-hmm. in 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 the in the cemetery, he says, hey, um, I can get rid of all of your physical disabilities. I can get rid of that hump. I can get rid of that limp. And Dud's like, fucking all in. Yes, please. And then he's a vampire now. What kind of vampire? He he's still knows kind of who a true he blood, is. kind of zippy vampire. Right. Though. He knows yeah. who he is. He moves very fast. He does have that fast movement. Mm-hmm. And he still has his, fe- his human feelings. Right. So. He... I think that I missed the kind of interactions between the sheriff and the and Straker. Yes. That, Straker that was, doesn't have hardly any interactions at all. No, the he, only one I can really uh, remember is when he talks to the woman who runs the boarding house. Well, there's two of them. They're actually <laughs> kind of fun. And Donald Sutherland, in view of the fact that um, Riker Howard was in another movie, uh, Donald Sutherland is taking up a lot of the slack for being villainous. There's a really fun scene with Ben Mears where he just starts mocking him out of the blue. Oh, you're the writer on your typewriter. Clickety-clack, clickety-clack, clickety-clack. Well, he and said... There, there is was, that from... Because he says, I'm uh, a writer, critics call me a typist. Right. Like, he sets himself up for it. I don't think he thought this guy was going to run with it, though. Yeah, I don't know. He did, though. Yeah, and he, he did. did. And but, he did. But that wasn't a thing that he came up with. No. It was a thing that no, was no, given to him. No, no, but the clicking clack was that. Yes, that's fine. Um, but but the, also, as you mentioned, the the, uh, the woman who runs the uh, boarding house. Yes. He has an interaction with her where he knows something he shouldn't know about her past. Yes. Past. Uh, and I think those are the scenes. He kind of has a little bit of an interaction 
when he captures uh, the heroes later in the Martin House. But he really doesn't have that much to no, do. No, he doesn't have a lot to do. There's not a lot. There's there's like this general menace of shit is happening to people in mm-hmm. the in this town. Right. And that's good. But there's well. not really an antagonist other than whatever is happening to the like there's not a big bad other than vampirism generally. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would say. I would say the idea of the vampire and what is actually actively happening to the townsfolk is the bad guy in this. Because the, I think altogether, in through in 181 minutes, Donald Sutherland and Rudger Hauer talk for 11 of them, maybe? I don't see them talking to each other at all. They don't talk to each other at all. I don't, you never see them together. Uh, they're never, there are no, no scenes together. Right. And so I, just... When you watch the original film, again, which deviated significantly from the book. Yes. In that, in that uh, Barlow talks Because when talks you hire it. James Mason, you pay him to talk. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but, I mean, the thing was, he and his arguments with Kenny McMillan, you know, Parkins Gillespie, the, sh- the, the, the sheriff. The sheriff, yes. That, carried a, that was a lot of fun. But yeah. that got dropped in favor of, like you're saying, the general menace of vampirism. Yes. But there's no face to it, effectively. There isn't. Because even when there is a face, uh-huh. it's Rutger Hauer's face. There's right. no monster face. And there's even a point before Rutger Hauer's character is staked at the end of the film. Yes. There's even a point where, uh, for the young boy, what's his name? Mark. Where Mark says, he looks like somebody's dad. Yes. And that's something you could not have said about the no, 70s version the of it. No, the original Kurt Barlow is... That looked like nothing's dead. Right. right. <laughs> no, well, look... it looked like Nosferatu's dead. Right. It looked nothing human, practically. So it... Um, yeah, I, I I think there was a misnote there for the vampirism. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, I, I, it does retain one of my favorite scenes from the book, mm-hmm. which is the vampire uh, bus where all the children on the bus are vampires and they get back at the bus driver. And that scene was really well realized in the movie uh, because they're crawling upside down on the... Yeah, road. at this point, like, like we know that the kids, the two kids have gone over mm-hmm. and then Dud's gone over. And from there, you know, Mike and Floyd from, mm-hmm. through Dud right. go over and the Glick mom goes over and then... The whole fucking time. Right, it happens. Then it's just everybody. When uh, the the boarding house mistress and her lover mm-hmm. become vampires, and weirdly, well, was... he has become a vampire, and then she goes to him, understanding what has happened, right. and allows herself to. And be that's taken. a weirdly touching scene. That's for a some weird reason. scene. Here's my problem with that scene. So, right. so yes, this older woman who has had a whole marriage mm-hmm. has then been having this relationship with the. He's like the handyman for the town. Mm-hmm. Um, probably a drunk also. They're all drunks. And he, um, but he has loved her since they were kids. Right. And uh, she agrees to marry him. They clearly are in love with each other. Uh, and then he is turned. And as she is waiting for him to be married, like they're going to get married, she's in her wedding dress. She's wearing a white veil, and I'm like, ooh, cheeky of this bitch to wear white because she's in her 70s, uh, but she wasn't. She was wearing a different color dress. He comes, and he's like, I can't come in, and he's all in dark, and she knows what's now what's happened, Right. and she's like, I made you wait, and I shouldn't have. I should have been with you this whole time. I'm doing this of my own will, and she walks to him and goes out, and then she like gives gives her him her neck, 
And then there is a bunch of shots of her face as she's being bitten. And right. it is a case study in an actress that does not know what to do with it's her face to right cast now. about where to find this. Yes, it because... was like, don't make it too horny right. because it's on TNT. <laughs> but, like, it was just, she just, I was like, or... stop putting this woman's face on my screen because she clearly doesn't know what she's it, doing with it, or it isn't... It looked very much like a person casting about to find what they're supposed to be doing. Yes. And Which is fine. I was waiting for But the, she never landed on it. For the, the, the hammer, back when you... you the, and that's one of the things that you used to see in hammer films. Is the that, slump? Well, no, because <laughs> what would happen is that they couldn't show blood, because this is, you know, for European release, they weren't going to show as much blood. Yeah. But you could show as much sex as you wanted to. So there was generally this sort of orgasmic mouth thing, and but you never yes, saw the blood. Yes, but they weren't doing that for and this. It looked and like I she got like, like halfway there or something, and they're like, no, 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 tone it down, tone it down, tone it down. Yeah, no, it was wild. It was so I was just strange. like, oh, I feel so bad because she was a good actress. Mm-hmm. She just, I don't think she didn't know where she was going with this. The direction and the and 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 the whole situation. She yeah didn't know what to do with her face, which is not great when that's what the whole screen is. Her face. Um, so as these, as these, um, things are falling, as, as people are falling, the whole town is just bloop, 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 bloop. We get a posse together and that posse, uh, is, uh, Ben Mears, right? Our, Mm. our leading man, uh, Rob Lowe of the Chapstick. It is Mark Petrie, the child. Rob Lowe of the Chapstick. That's right. It is Andre Brower's character, Matt. Who leads it mostly from a hospital bed. His character is fun. He is both a black man and a gay man in a small town in Maine. So, which I think just get all your tokens in one. The narration also was really cute about that. Yeah, they said there are black people, or there are people like people that aren't all white, like Mm -hmm. pepper, like a handful of pepper thrown in the salt, right? Or like a few flecks of pepper thrown in the salt, or something like that. Uh. And yeah, he has had a heart attack after Mark, dead Mark, mm-hmm. reappears in his house and tries to seduce him. And Jimmy, who is the doctor. So that is our core group of people. Mark, uh, the child, uh, mm-hmm. is involved because he and Susan were up at the bar, the, the Marston house and she was taken and he was tied up, but... Um, was able to free himself, mm-hmm. but thinks that she's gone. But they don't know. And also, killed Barlow killed his mother. And Barlow killed his mom. Well, mm-hmm. not until they're like in the hospital. They're right. all getting together, and then yeah, Barlow kills the mom. And that when Barlow kills his mom, that's when at the beginning of the of this group, Callahan, the priest, was also there. But he gets pulled over to the dark side when Barlow kills. Uh, Mark's mom and they realize that um, they're hiding they have to be hiding where there's uh, construction going on because of the white dust and it's very confusing you can smell apparently they can smell uh, uh, Barlow when they get close to him they try to go back to the Marston house and Mm -hmm. they find a dead Donald Sutherland don't know how that happened well remember when he escapes he picks up uh, Mark Yes. He picks up a, I think in the book it was a piece of furniture, and as Barlow comes into the room, just starts hammering him repeatedly in the back oh, of the head. Okay, so he. Now, we were watching it with a friend of ours who says. Barlow? No, Straker. A Straker. Uh, Straker, yes. Yes, Donald Sutherland's um, character. And he says, 
uh, we were watching it with somebody who was like, oh, don't stop until he's dead. And that's what happens in the book. Effectively, he kills him. Um, which is a dumb way out for this character. And you can see why they did not save that for James Mason. Like, no, that's too... Given especially that we have a silent vampire, it's right. too little to have him sort of knocked off early. Right, right, right. Um, but, uh, yeah, here it just is sort of abrupt, uh, an abrupt end to the only face that we really have yeah. for evil because... The other one's barely showing up. Right. So they find him dead, and they find Susan, who appears dead. And Ben cannot bring himself to stake her because he loves her, because he's known her for three and a half mm. days. Uh, but <laughs> he doesn't want to kill her. He's like, well, what if we kill the main one, and then they all come back to life? Because they don't know. They don't know how right. it works. And I love it, because they do have, like, vampires for dummies. They've got all of these books. Um, Matt's in the hospital with all of this reading material right. trying to talk people into understanding what the fuck is happening. And then they are like, oh, I bet they're at the boarding house. So they go to the boarding house and they go down to go into the basement. And there's a very effective scene wherein the doctor takes a step, yes, falls through the stairs and onto a, a circular table saw. saw. A circle, right. circular saw. A table saw is a good And dies. <laughs> that was a that was a genuine shock. I did yeah. not see that one coming at all. And they had cut the steps going down. Mm-hmm. Like it was a very good booby trap. But it, and then they they could smell. They were like, "Well, right. he's definitely here." So they get down, and the the doc, doctor dies. He succumbs to his injuries. Um, and then this is where they kill Barlow. And apparently, well, behind the scenes, Rob Lowe. Really narked on Rudger Hauer <laughs> in his uh, memoir. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is from the memoir Love Life. Uh, he says, I once starred in a big miniseries that culminated at the villain giving a two page monologue trying to goad me into killing him. The actor playing the bad guy, so I guess he didn't out him, out him, right. but he outed him, wanted to ad lib his own version of the movie ending speech. Although he was playing a vampire, he went into a soliloquy about being a cowboy. The director <laughs> was not impressed. After a very tense negotiation, the actor was forced to shit-can his self-penned opus and stick to the original script. This is why I think Rob Lowe loves Stephen King, because he also uses phrases like shit-can in a way that I will never... um, There was only one problem. He hadn't bothered to learn it. Lowe went on to say that cue cards were placed next to his head and Howard read the lines to him off of that. So... Woof. <laughs> so this is very. Like, he only had three lines of dialogue or three pages of dialogue this in this is whole very movie. Very consistent with the Rutger Hauer stories. You like there's oh really? There's Klaus Kinski story. There's actors who you know being on the set with Marlon Brando. There's Brando stories. This is very consistent with Rutger Hauer stories. One that Kathleen Turner told where he Rutger was, Hauer don't give a fuck. <laughs> well, Kathleen Turner did a film with him where she was supposed to be passionately in love, and she, he she instead was being driven crazy by the fact that he would never learn his lines and literally write his lines in like pen on objects on the set. Mm-hmm. So he just get like magic marker and write his lines somewhere so he could and he would lose the eye line. So she's looking at him and he's looking off to read his lines. Um. And sometimes that improvising worked really well. He improvised most of his speech at the end of Blade Runner. Right. Which is so memorable. Well, and this Blade time, Runner is like such a wild... Yeah, you could get away with doing anything in that yeah. film and it would work. Yeah. This film, not so much because we have a plot to move forward with. Right. 
and it's based on a thing. Right, and it's and you're a vampire and not mm, a cowboy. What is happening here? It's um, but he does taunt him and basically uh, is like, "You're just like me. You use right. the tragedies. You get rich off the tragedies of others. I get fed off the tragedy of others." Uh, ben is unmoved. And well, him. no, uh, false equivalency. And yes, then he sticks into the heart. Equivalency. But then we find out that Susan is... And that's is, a very good dissolving scene, by the way. Yes, it is. That was very well done. Yeah, and it's very... All these vampires, if you kill a vampire in this book, we'll fucking do it outside because they're going to fuck up your ceiling. Right. They're, <laughs> they're, they're, they're like vampire souls flies straight up and takes out whatever's above them. Like there's right. cracks in the ceilings every time one of them goes. And I'm just like, Jesus. It, it's really... It's kind of startling. They do a really great job uh, when... Uh, when um, Mark's mom dies in the uh, in the morgue, that's a great scene. The first time you see it, and there's echoes of The Exorcist, even mm-hmm. with her weird kind of spidery contusion. I mean, contortions. Yes, at about the same time, Larry has gone to find his daughter at the dump, mm-hmm. and he finds her and uh, everyone else in the town. Apparently, they're right. all just chilling in the looking for something to eat underneath. It looks like. the, yes, it looks like they're eating rats. Um, and she's like, make, he says, make me one of you. And she's mm-hmm. like, we don't want your, I don't want your blood, but we do want your flesh. flesh. And then they set upon him and eat him. So he is not turned. They are not interested in devoured. him. He is just devoured. And uh, we find out, or, you know, then we find out after Barlow is dead that that does not, in fact, fix right. the other one. So Susan shows up again. And As the world's most kind and sympathetic vampire, which I was well, buying at this point. Although, she doesn't come inside. She says, invite me in. He says, no. And then she's like, well, you're not... It's not your you, house. It's not your house. And I'm like, well, then, bitch, why don't you just come in? Like, yeah. what? And she's like, and you don't have the faith to keep me out. And he goes, I found the faith. Right. And then he stabs her in the heart. It's very sad. Well, he has to because um, Mark comes up on her. And yes. so he has to take action right away. Yeah. Or else. And then they burn, they go back up to the Marston house and they're going to burn it down. And there's a cha- that chase with the bus mm-hmm. full of children, the vampire, vampired, vampirized children, and the, and the bus driver. Uh, ga- he, and he drives through the gas station and it explodes. And then there's fires just all over town. It's like Gary right. again. Just the whole fucking town is on fire. And Callahan vows revenge against Ben um, as he, like, gathers the, ta- the rest of them. So he's, like, the new leader, uh, I guess. Well, one thing that we didn't mention is that Callahan uh, murders the, the teacher. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, Matt. Murders Matt in his bed. Now, this is yeah, one of the times right. where the vampire lore was really... I don't know what they were drawing from because it seems almost as if he's possessed while he's murdering. Yeah, he. This he's feels speaking he's, with his voice or speaking with kind well, of. He, I don't think he's a. Va- he's not a vampire. Right, he's right? not vampirized. He's not. He does drink the vampire's blood, though. He does. So he's definitely got the like whatever group think that mm-hmm. they all have. Right, because the they're stalks. like a hive mind, right? Mm-hmm. And then, but he can go, definitely go outside during the day. That's not going to be an issue. Like he's right. still a person. He is the he's the new Donald Sutherland for all intents and purposes, right? Right. He's you know whatever that was, but we don't even get to know what that is really. Just 
helpmate. Vampire helpmate. Vampire helper. <laughs> it's kind of like a San Francisco treat, I guess. And then we go back to the hospital for actually the third time because we do go back to the hospital in the middle mm-hmm. where he's like, there's more. <laughs> and that's where we're like, oh, this was the end of the first half. Right. And then he goes back and, and the orderly's like, damn. And then they're like, oh no, he wasn't acting alone. And then we see Mark who has now smothered Callahan in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Still a child. So I guess he wasn't as old as I thought because, yeah. well, it's the same actor. Two so. weeks or two months or two years. or. And uh, he finds Callahan dead mm-hmm. and Mark slips into Ben's room and tells him the uh, vampire hunt is over and then Ben dies. He's been shot, but they, I don't know where because they definitely pull his gown aside to just show his whole torso, which mm-hmm. is unmarred. <laughs> um and then the orderly finds Mark at a locked exit to the hospital, but lets him go. And then Ben dies the rest of the way. The end. So overall, what was it which you liked and which you didn't like? You know, I thought it kept a pace. And mm-hmm. even though there were, like, trying to explain it, there are a shit ton of people, and I know we missed stuff. But when you're watching it, I was not confused. I wasn't like, but mm-hmm. who's this, and how do they react, or how do they relate to them? The other thing that I actually really liked was they leaned very hard into, hey, our main character is a writer. So the voiceover is very good, mm-hmm. very witty. Like, I enjoyed the writing. The observations he's giving, yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed the writing in this movie a lot. It made it very interesting. Also, like like I said, every something's happening every seven minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of... Shout outs to Stephen King stuff. There's the dude singing Stand By Me mm-hmm. at the karaoke. There's a dog named Kujo. Uh So that's always fun. And seeing, you know, people that I've seen in other Stephen King things. I, I think Rob Lowe really likes Stephen King, mm-hmm. like as a person. Mm-hmm. Well, like you said, I, I remember listening to a radio uh, broadcast where there was a uh, conspiracy theorist who was knocking down Stephen King and making him a part of the FBI. That's and all, right. And Rob Lowe, Rob Lowe just happened to be... Called him in, called in, yes. Right, around listening and called in to defend him and said, no, this is a great guy. He writes the weirdest stuff, but he goes to church with his kids. He's yeah. just like Mr. Community. Yeah. He, he, he hangs out with my family. You know, this is a great guy. So that was very sweet. Yeah, and Rob Lowe likes weird stuff because he did that show where he and his kids looked for Bigfoot and shit, like, right. and went to haunted houses and stuff. So... Yeah, he's uh, he's into the weird, but um, I it's, all the it's best super, people are frankly. But in my I don't opinion. know that I want to watch the original. Mm. It's my age. Well, the nineteen seventy nine one looks like it was made in nineteen seventy nine, right. and that makes me not as interested in There's it. I'm sorry, that that's are... a that's a that's a person that is of my age. That's yeah, just the way but, that it is. But I would watch this again today. The, the one, the Toby Hooper film is made, has two things working against it. For one thing, it's very much of its time. And for the other thing, it was made with a different kind of television that had a lot more constraints in in both in time and budget and even what you could show. Whereas this film seemed to have a lot more going for it where there was less constraints and they could be more graphic. They could suggest a lot more. They could show a lot more. And so I think it has that working in its favor. Um, But... uh, there were some weird choices made in terms of how to present the vampires. Yeah, it's like they were like, I mean, we got two badass actors, mm-hmm. but only for like a day and a half. So yeah. 
we're going to have to make this work with the idea of vampirism more than Donald Sutherland and Edgar Howard. And what's sad is that Donald Sutherland in particular is not phoning this in at all. No, he's he's not. He's playing an absolute He's not, but I don't think he was on set for more than 18 hours. He's having fun. I I just... He's doing, I think, effectively what Vincent Price did when he was older, which is, I'm going to have fun with this part, and just go with it. Just go with being, like, bad in every conceivable way. Just mean-spirited and nasty, and, and yeah. I just, yeah, there should have been more of him, though. And I liked, also, I think a problem that you had in the 70s performances were that they were all very damaged people. Yes. Especially Susan. Susan was a very damaged, very shy, very kind of withdrawn person. And this Susan gets to be a little bit more on the ball. Yeah, and more I don't relatable. know though. Still, I was still bored by that character. I, they did a good job of trying to bring her out. I mean, the first I one just, re- she, relied on a sort of charm that Bonnie Bedelia had, being very shy. I think I just don't don't just put in a female character mm-hmm. as a foil to the male character's sexuality because she's not necessary in this. <laughs> So, She's not. Um, if you took her out completely, the movie would not change. The sense that comes across in the book is this sort of horrible <clears throat> fate where he falls in love with somebody who's going to die. Right. And so... And I just don't... I, I'm not a person who's, a lot who believes book. that anybody's falling in love in three days. Like, I'm right. just I'm just not... And it was a longer period in the book they as well. Are, and, and, yeah, maybe and that's the part of it. the original film was a little bit longer. It was. So, and if, yeah, if it had been three months into their relationship uh-huh. when all this shit started to go down, right. then then maybe I'm on board. Well, yeah, then maybe I'm there. In the original film, or the original book, and in the film, she's making the decision to leave town. She doesn't know if she should. Yes. There's a longer period of time. Uh, he gets assaulted by her boyfriend, and they're still just fresh out of that relationship. So she's trying to make a change for her life, and there's a lot more going on with the character in this one. All that sort of glossed over because we need to get back to the generic evil of, of that's attacking the town. And yes. I don't mean that in a bad way. And you don't see, like, you see the, I mean, and, I, and mm-hmm. this is, I think, a smart thing that they did. Right. Everybody in the town knows some shit is going down. People mm-hmm. are missing. They can't get a hold of them. People are maybe dying, but yeah. we don't know. The, and the, 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 the thing that keeps coming up is the corner is missing. I'm like, well, that's not great. Right. So we know that six people have turned, right? And right. then he goes to the dump, and there are 40 people in there. It winds and up, then the yeah. whole ta- like the whole bus is full of kids. Like you, you, which is exactly, I think, how you would realize something. Like mm-hmm. you'd understand that this was happening in this small pocket and this small pocket, and then all of a sudden, you're like, "Oh, it's also everybody else has these small pockets too." Mm-hmm. And when you combine all of them together, it's half the town. Like. Right. Hey everybody, stay inside. Social distance. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I did. I like this movie. Of course, I'm going to like the other one because it was my generation's right. take on the story. And I think it also did some things more successfully, like the love story and the other parts. What I liked about this story is that it updated everything really well. Yes. It moved at a very good pace. It was a good clip. Um, still, I think in the update there were some things lost, like the. Uh, I, I, there's a couple of things that bugged me. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that. We have one gay character. Who's also our black character. And his former student is saying, didn't you ever want one of his vampire seduction attempts? Is, 
didn't you ever want to touch me? Didn't you? Yeah. Which makes it seem like, okay, we don't need the gay teacher to also be lusting after teenage boys because that's But at the same time, problematic. he's that, not a teenage boy when it's happening. Right. So I have less of a problem it just with seemed, that. And, yeah. and I kind of... I don't know. And I like that scene. Otherwise, I like the idea that the guy isn't aware that he's a vampire. He's just, he has to be told that he's dead. Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, and, like you died yesterday. And yesterday. Andre Brower plays that scene really, he really does. well. He, well, Andre Brower is awesome. Yeah, so. I mean, it's, it's, it's like saying, you know, but I, at the same time, so that worked well for me. But again, there was just a sort of a missing, I didn't quite like that. Um, and the priest in this one is just such a drunk Irish priest. He, he's who's a lost bit of a stereotype. I'm like, oh my yeah. god, really? It's, yeah, I liked it when Gene Hackman played you in the Poseidon Adventure. It's like, you know, that um, means literally nothing to me. He, I know, but he's just <laughs> even it, when I was a kid, that was a stereotype, like a really washed out. Oh no, the drunk Irish priest. Priest who loses his faith. Yeah, yeah. That was an old one. And I mean, it, well, it, keep in mind this was written in the right, 70s. but it's one of those things where we're updating the rest. People have cell phones. People have. There's a lot of really good. Some do. That's right. the thing. It's right in that time where he calls the restaurant to look for Susan, and she's not there. Or no, they are yeah. house. And she's not there. And he goes, does she have a cell phone? Like, right. that's the question. And she's like, unfortunately, no. And I'm just like, I know. Ex- like, that is the most dated thing uh, I think they could have possibly done. Right? Yeah. Like, I know your landline, and I don't know if you have a cell phone. And you don't, in fact, have a right. cell phone. That could only happen between 2002 and 2005, I think. Yeah. I, I, I think that that's... Uh, before that, you wouldn't presume to ask. If there was a cell phone involved, mm-hmm. and after that, you would only have the cell phone number. Like, yeah, it was just, I was just like, oh, the specificity of that question. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, I don't know. I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun watch, for yeah, sure. It like, certainly was. As, I have to sort of divorce it from what it should have been based yeah. on my, and like I said, I haven't read the story. Well, that, that's it. I've had the virtue of, this is one of the few books that I got all the way through, right. and it was the movie that was a big part of my childhood, so it's, right. I'm going to tend to be harder on it, but I really did enjoy it a yeah, lot. Yeah, I just was like, as a watch for uh-huh. three hours, for sure, entertaining. I was, I was in it the whole time. Mm-hmm. And like I said, not confused. Right. Which this could have been very confusing because there are a lot of white people and they're all dying. So it's like, wait, which white person is this? And I guess that's true to the story too as well. And it, it's to their credit that Andre Brower's in it. Um, and I like the fact that there's no bones made about the fact that he's an outsider. Yes, he's, no. He's doubled down on that being an outsider mm-hmm. by being a black but, man. And, but, and they explicitly say right. he can have his, he is a, Confirmed bachelor, I think, right. is what they say. Or lifelong bachelor is what he says. And he's allowed to have his life in Portland as long as he doesn't bring it into his classroom. Right. Which means he's got... He's also a full gay man. Right. We don't get to see it, but he's not like... As long as you don't practice your gayness... He's not a gayness, gay man. Uh, what was like, the, he gets yeah. to have a gay existence, mm-hmm. whatever that is. And you know, still live in this town, which right. could easily be um, deleted entirely. Right. You know, where you just, and there are hundreds and probably thousands of people all over this country who are just like, well, I cannot be fully who I am and have the life that I have where I am, so right. I will not be fully who I am. And he still has to do it, you know, 
surreptitiously, which isn't ideal, but at least there it's a sort of a tiny baby step up. He gets to realize his own life. Yes. Somewhere. So that is Salem's Lot again. Yeah, I liked it. I really enjoyed it. I'm trying to see what we're what's next. See if it's a lie. It's not a lie. It's true. What is it? Desperation. Oh, how are we going to find that? I believe it is streaming somewhere. Y'all, I don't know. But I think we can find it This was one of two Stephen King books, right? That were released right on the heels of each other. Desperation and... Liquidator? No, it's something like that. The Regulators. Regulators. I didn't find it, but that's what it Uh is. (laughs) Yes. And they're sort of western-y. They're also very much... What I recall from the reading of these books, first of all, one of them, I think The Regulators is a Bachman book. Uh Oh. They are his I'm struggling with Christianity Mm -hmm. books. They are the most Christianity forward books. Mm -hmm. And he has priests and pastors and Christian people in his books. And he is a Christian man. (laughs) But these, I think, are explicitly, and I think they're, they were both well, written in the is, wake of the accident. Right. This is what happens when you come to terms with immortality. So, yes. <laughs> so, um, that is what we are watching. I believe Ed Harris stars in it. No, don't believe it's Ed Harris. Is it? Oh, is it Matt Frewer? No, 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 no. Wait a second. Uh, it's Desperation? I thought it was Ron Perlman. She, oh, it might be. Okay, now you're going to have me looking it up. Ron Perlman. Tom Skerritt, Stephen Weber, Annabeth Gitch. Sorry, everyone. Well, you can I don't know take why that. I was thinking of Ed Harris. Because you see him on, on a... Oh, Matt Frewer is also in it. I get them mixed up. It makes no sense. It's only in my brain, and it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't have anything to do with reality. Yeesh. So. Yes, that is what we are going to watch next week. I don't know that I've ever... I did once seen it. I did once. It is a television film. It is right. a TV film, TV movie. So, um, and it is, of course, Stephen King's Desperation, because... By this point, his name sells things. Yeah, see Lawnmower Man and all of the lawsuits about it. Mm. <laughs> I know, it's a mess. So upsetting. Uh, I just love the idea that somebody could tell, like a court will tell you to do a thing and you could just be like, uh-uh. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, weird how people get away with it. I, like, wait a minute. And I think that we both have this, and we're realizing It's rentable this, on Prime Video. Okay. So, yeah. it, we, we both have this realization because we're at least involved in at least one lawsuit at the, at the time. The idea that we are both people who follow rules. So the notion of people who yes. just willy-nilly don't follow them is really irritating. Not just follow rules, but yeah, yeah, and there's the, the, the rough thing of there's legally right and there's morally right, and then there are things that are both. Right. And then there are things that are only one of the two, which well, is very frustrating. Which is, yeah, it's something I had to learn a few years ago with another court case. It's like, no, this is the moral right, but this is what you can do and what you yeah. can't get away with. And yeah. I think once I began to accept that, that's why I'm having less problem this time with uh, legal issues because I realized, okay, then I'm going to be the person who now is not going to get worked up over being morally right and just go, well, I'm also legally right, so here I am. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. So next week, mm-hmm. we will be watching Desperation. Desperation. Desperation.
desperation. Watching it desperately. And I'm trying to see. After that is Nightmares and Dreamscapes. That's another one where we don't know. We don't actually know. I think Nightmares and Dreamscapes too. I remember one really good episode there and a couple of mediocre ones and one that was just bad. Yeah, and so. I just don't know if it's available. Yeah, uh, so we might not be missing too much. So we'll see, we'll see. But for now, we know that next week is Desperation. Do mm-hmm. you have, in the meantime, anything you would like to recommend? Um, I recommend if you can find this. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing. We had to get it on a set of DVDs with a bunch of other miniseries. Yeah, I would it's not this. streaming this anywhere. This is actually very good. But if you can check out the Rob Lowe Salem slot, check it out. Um, yeah. What anything else? I haven't gotten much time to go looking around. I think the most recent thing I did find on YouTube was the 1972 The Night Stalker with Darren oh. McGavin. Yeah. And that was a great part of my childhood too, watching oh. the and it's one of the first modern vampire stories. It was set in Las Vegas. I was inspired to watch it again because I was in one of my Facebook book groups that's devoted to TV terror. That's what it's called. TV term, yeah. <laughs> and um, somebody showed a an interview with the producer of Dan Curtis, who also did Dark Shadows, another sort of modern vampire story. And it covered how the Night Stalker kind of changed everything from that point forward, including things like The X-Files mm-hmm. and Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right. borrow a lot from it. And if anybody hasn't seen it before, it's a very fun movie about a washed-up reporter in Las Vegas trying to track down a killer that he's increasingly realizing isn't a vampire. It's written by Richard Matheson, the Richard Matheson, the genius, uh, who wrote things like The Incredible Shrinking Man and I Am Legend and Legend of Hell House. Um, The book I Am Legend on which everything is based. All of the things are based. Which George Romero said, I couldn't make... I am legend because somebody had the right, so I made Night of the Living Dead, and it's essentially the same story. So there it is. Um, so, yeah, between these two people, Dan Curtis, who did Dark Shadows, and Richard Matheson, they came up with something that was tremendously influential. And Darren McGavin, who I think everyone else remembers as the dad in A Christmas Story, which I've never seen. Um, You've never seen A Christmas I've Story? I've never seen A Christmas How Story. How have you avoided it? It's on literally um, all the time. I mean, all the time at Christmas. I have avoided it with great care. But, uh, yeah, so that was a fun thing to kind of rediscover. Have you found anything, or are you... I am going to say, and Mm -hmm. I am only two episodes into it, because it is only two episodes into its existence. Uh Remember how I'm in love with Merritt Weaver? Yes, you're in love with I want her to be my wife? Yes. She's in a new show. It's on HBO, so if you have HBO Now or HBO Go or any of those things, it's available there. It's called Run. Uh-huh. It is a comedy sitcom. <laughs> it's half an hour long episodes. It's her and Donald Gleason, who I also very much love. Uh-huh. He's trying to steal my wife. <laughs> I'm not super excited about it, but so far, an hour into this thing, Mm-hmm. I am in love with it. I love it so much. <laughs> so okay. I say, check that so, out. So she's your quarantine wife, or you, is, is this um, just... Well, I mean... Something that... I don't know what the future holds. <laughs> okay. I don't know even if she would be interested in me as a lady. I don't know her proclivities or interests. Also, she's very famous and very beautiful and is not 
uh, in I, my world. You really world. liked her in Nurse Jackie. Yes. I had a problem with that show, kind of, because I didn't like half the people in it. They were just... Yeah, but she was not one of the yeah, people she, that you didn't like. No, she no. was She great. was one of the few people who was likable. The rest of them are like, I'm watching... And we're the, still watching Godless. We haven't gotten right, through it yet. I'm enjoying it, it really so far. I would love to finish uh, We're still trying to figure out The Outsider. Which yeah. is my kind of thing. Yeah. Really, it is totally. Alive. I'm also rereading the books, the Holly Gibney books, sort okay. of. So I am rereading right now the Stephen King book, Mr. Mercedes. All I'm right. also going to read the rest of those, that trilogy, and then The Outsider, and then his new book, If It Bleeds. All of those, or at least some of them. It's the introduction of and then following through of the Holly Gimme character. Does it lead? Bleed. If it bleeds, it leads. Oh, I don't. That was the old newspaper. I know. I've seen Nightcrawler. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't yes and you very well, and I apologize for that. Do you have anything else? Nope. Okay. I haven't done, gotten much. <laughs> I am going to say uh, you can reach out and find us on uh, Gmail at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at latecomerspod or you can find us on Facebook by typing latecomerspodcast into the search bar. I remind you take your medicine, to wash your hands, and to stay inside. And we remind you better, better late than, than never. never.